you are the master of your reality. This is even more true in relation to the government. Democracy doesn't just happen. It takes participation. Governments need participation and feedback from their citizens. Join Rob Hutchinson for Dear Parliament, where you get to understand the issues and engage directly with government. Dear Parliament is every Wednesday at midday, only on 101.9 High FM. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Dear Parliament, the show which brings uh, Parliament closer to you. And boy, am I bringing it closer to you uh, this Wednesday. Broadcasting live from, from Cape Town, uh, where I'm attending a two-day summit uh, hosted by the South African legislative sector. And it's the Oversight Summit, which uh, proposes quite a few interesting ideas on how to get civil society more involved and active in the oversight process of uh, of Parliament. And it's it's quite fascinating to hear uh, so many uh, fantastic speakers from, from all over the country and all over the world, in fact, uh, giving advice and um, making suggestions on on how we can improve uh, the the oversight function of of civil society and oversight functions of of parliament, and it's at all levels of parliament. We are it's actually hosted by the Speakers Forum of South Africa, which is which is a body that um, is chaired by the Speaker of National Parliament, and uh, consists of all the speakers from all municipalities and and all provinces. And of course, they each have something to say, as a speaker would, on on legislation and the processes around around good governance. Some some great ideas, as I said, coming from uh, various sectors, uh, and including um, from our deputy president, uh, Mr. Paul Masutile, who revealed quite a bit of information around uh, new legislation that's on the cards. Uh, he talked about. Um, the NHI, the General Intelligence Laws Amendment Bill, uh, Expropriation Bill, and of course the Basic Education Laws uh, Amendment Bill, uh, among among a few others. But that seems to be his his main focus. What he what he was talking about, and he, what he revealed, is that the ANC are pushing ahead with with these uh, with these bills. Uh, they've undergone extensive public consultation uh, processes. And uh, also undergone several rounds of of public participation, which is great, great to see. Um, it's certainly good to see that government, at all levels, is acknowledging the importance of public participation. And in fact, um, quite a few of the speakers, including uh, Pro- Professor Samadora Fikeni, talked about the importance of public participation and how it should be how it should be strengthened. The uh, chairperson of the National Planning Commission uh, also talked about uh, the importance and how, of public participation and how important pub- the public's voice is when drafting laws uh, or amendments to, to existing laws, which is, which is quite, I would say, quite exciting, quite exciting indeed. It's, it's good to see government is actually focused on uh, taking into account the voice and the needs of of the public when when considering laws, and um, the big focus again is strengthening uh, around strengthening that that voice and the the public and civil society's active role within shaping shaping legislature. And 
or legislation rather, shaping legislature. We do that at elections, don't we? <laughs> but talking about the elections coming up, um, there's a lot of uh, a public outcry and talk around uh, ANC manipulating uh, several pieces of legislation and using them as as uh, electioneering tools. And that does also seem to be a a topic point at at the summit. Um, but more on that more on that later because later we'll be chatting to uh, Kieran Ryan, and we'll him and I will be discussing exactly that these certain laws and legislation that does seem to uh, pop up now uh, are they legitimate what is going on are they are they actually implementable uh, can they be implemented can they can they do the purpose they're supposed to or is it just another electioneering uh, tactic by by the ANC some controversial topics that will be raised no doubt so make sure you are still tuned in and listening carefully because I prom it promises to be a fantastic chat and um, as some of you have been who've been a regular listener on the show will know Kieran Ryan is uh, he's a regular on on the show he's a fantastic uh, investigative journalist focused on financial matters and uh, other bills rights for for MoneyWeb and for the writers forum and uh, has an all, all round all round great guy who has great insight and knowledge. Uh, one of the one of South Africa's few journalists that approaches things with a critical critical mind. Um, I wish we had more more journalists that that did that work, weren't simply mouthpieces for for the state or held an agenda. Yeah, the truth does does need to come out all the time. Everything should be approached with a critical mind and with critical thinking. Um, and back to the. Uh, back to the summit that that seems to be echoed throughout uh, throughout the speakers forum as well. I've been chatting to quite a few uh, speakers from various places around the country, um, from different municipalities and and provinces, and it's it's quite uh, quite interesting to to hear that they all have the same the same sort of outlook. It doesn't matter which party they represent or or who they are as in, individuals. They are certainly focused on improving improving their constituency. I know a speaker of the house at any level does play an, a quite an important role in in ma managing um, meetings and committee meetings and uh, parliament it, itself. It's not a difficult. It's not an easy job. It's quite quite difficult, um, especially when you have rebel rousers whose sole intention is to disrupt meetings so that no decisions can can be can take place the speaker does need to control all of that and the speaker needs to be a sharp person um, who's familiar with with all matters at hand and has an, has an oversight function over all the different sectors um, throughout throughout Parliament so yes quite a quite an interesting topic coming up um, but on that note perhaps we should, Take a slight little break here. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. Hey, welcome back to 101.9 FM, Dear Parliament. And today, as I said, if you were listening earlier on, well, by the way, if you missed the intro to the show or if you want to catch up on, on other shows, visit the website at www.chaifm.com 
and you can catch up with, with the podcasts. If you want to send uh, us a message or if you want to, uh, to have a chat or pose a question to, to myself or the guests, feel free to do so. Send us an SMS at 34519. And today, as I said, it's Kieran Ryan. Kieran, how's it going? Great stuff, Rob. Good to speak to you again. I think this is the first time we've spoken since, what, November or December? Yeah, it's been, it's been far too long, Kieran. I think, we, as I said, we keep promising to do it more regularly and then Parliament gets in the way, <laughs> as, it, as it normally does. Events take place. Some politician says something and I have to go, go out and do something else. But perhaps we should definitely make it every Wednesday. And I'm, I'm dead keen to do that. But what have you been up to since, since November? Well, it, 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 it always happens, you know, when, when you're in the news business, a lot happens over the Christmas period when uh, uh, it, it's well known in this business where you, you're trying to sneak through news that you don't want people to read. <laughs> you do it during <laughs> the Christmas period. And, um, I mean, you mentioned there Paul Mashatile, who, um, mm. and I see that the DA are trying to get rid of him as the deputy president. Um, and you obviously heard him speaking down there in Cape Town, and, and it's pretty encouraging what you just spoke about. He, he's, he mentioned expropriation uh, without compensation, and he spoke about the other bills that they are proposing to put through, the NHI bill as well, National Health Insurance. Mm. Um, but what I'm interested in, uh, it was recently, there was recently an article in The Star from one of the ANC top executives there, uh, which is challenging why the DA is trying to get rid of Paul Mashatile, uh, because they're positioning themselves for a potential coalition, perhaps with the ANC ahead of the election. Now, this is not something I previously thought of, but it is does raise some interesting possibilities. And I was just the other day attending a presentation by Anchor Capital, where the, it, it was a financial presentation, but of course, the big overhang for South Africa is this election and what's going to happen and predictions for the RAND and forecasting in, in the year of election is a very difficult thing. Um, uh, I forget who it was that said uh, uh, forecasting is always a dangerous thing, particularly when it concerns the future. And uh, <laughs> wise yeah. uh, so there's, there's a lot of predictions about where the RAND will be, feelings that the RAND will strengthen this year by the end of the year, but before that there will be have some some weakness and a lot of volatility, uh, a huge amount of uncertainty about this election. What was interesting about this particular presentation was looking at a number of scenarios coming coming out from the election. And um, one of the scenarios is, well, let's just give a bit of background there. So the ANC has over the last thirty years, they've now been in power for thirty years. Mm. They've seen that their support drop from 70% in 1994 to 57.5% in the last election. Uh, at the same time, voter turnout has dropped from about 88% in 1994 to 65% in the last election. So a lot of polls have been done, you know, how th this is going to shape out in the latest election. And a lot of people are saying, well, yeah, this is a government that just does not deserve to be in power. Um, and the polls seem to suggest that that the ANC will poll less than 50% in this election. Mm. Then the, the question becomes, what happens at that point? So if if the ANC gets 
45 to 49%, you know, just slightly below the 50% threshold, they are going to have to seek a coalition partner that's not too demanding. And who will that be? Well, there's a lot of reluctance in the ANC to choose the EFF as a coalition partner, but they may be forced to do that. And that comes at a cost, and they'll probably have to hand over key portfolios such as finance. Everybody wants to get their hands on the finance portfolio. And the deputy presidency will probably go to the coalition partner as well. So who would be front runners for that? Well, the EFF, and, and maybe they'll cobble together some of the smaller parties, which the ANC, which the, uh, the DA has tried to forestall by putting together this, call it this rainbow coalition. Um, but, you know, these things are fragile and they can, they can break at any moment. Now, if the ANC polls less than um, 45%, let's say between 40 and 45%, you then have a scenario where the smaller parties get together to get rid of the ANC completely out of government. And that would be, and this is according to Peter Armitage uh, at Anchor Capital, this heralds a new era for the country. You'll have new rules. You'll have cooperation without greed. This is what he says. I'm not so convinced that you're just going to change the parties and greed is going to disappear from the equation. I don't think so. But I do think you are going to have a, a, an entirely new emphasis on clean governance. The kind of governance that the DA has modeled its brand on where you see on all of these surveys that they do, like Africa Ratings brings up the annual survey of municipal governance. Um, and the top 10 are all DA run, and they're pretty much in the Western Cape. So you've got Mossel Bay, the best run municipality in the country. You've got Hermanus. You've got, um, uh, the, there's the one in Joburg, the name escapes me at the moment, but uh, these are being run as models of good governance, and the DA is doing that deliberately to show that if you put us in national government, this is how we are going to run the country. So there you have that at 40 to 45% now, you, you've got um, the potential for the smaller parties to boot up the ANC. If, if the ANC scores less than 40%, you've got other interesting possibilities, perhaps ANC and DA uh, entering a coalition. President Cyril Ramaphosa remains in office until 2026 when you know, they have to elect a new president um, and he's come to the end of his term at that point. So there doesn't really seem to be anybody able or with the, the gravitas or the brand that Ramaphosa has to take over at this point. However, the trends are definitely against the ANC. It, it seems pretty inexorable that they are going to get less than 50%. Um, whether the, the big concern here is the voter apathy. You know, as yes. I said, back in 1994, you had 88% uh, of people turn out. Now it's down to 65%. If we see that continue to happen, uh, it might actually suit the ANC. This is why the DA is trying to activate uh, these apathetic voters, get them out, get them excited about the elections and, and get out to vote. Um, and all of this is going to weigh on on the economy, on the financial markets until this election is done, which uh, I believe it's probably going to happen around May, perhaps April. Um, so we're, we're in for a tough time. We're in for a tough time until then. And I think the 
the economy, which has been absolutely smashed. You know, we've missed out on this commodities boom. Here we are. We're one of the biggest coal producers in the world. We just can't export the coal because we can't get them through the ports. The ports are too backlogged. They're too choked up. Um, and we've still got load shedding. So maybe we'll come to that, you know, a little bit later. You know, the two critical economic choke points in the country are mm-hmm. ESCOM and Transnet. Definitely. Uh, a few interesting developments that have happened there. So, yeah, that's kind of a, that some of the scenarios that uh, I see happening uh, in the election. It's going to be interesting. And um, it's probably the most significant election we've had in 30 years coming up. I don't agree with you, Kieran. Um, there's, there's no doubt. There's everybody's on on the edge of the seats, wondering what what is going to happen. Um, uh, I, I I think I have a, a different view to you, though, which is maybe maybe presumptuous, but um, or, or maybe 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 I'm right. But who who knows at this stage? But from what I've what I've picked up from from the general chatter and talk around around legislation especially, is that the ANC is playing a very smart game. Um, and that that game is is around pushing forward legislation that appeals to their voters, both both at the bottom end of the pyramid and and, and at the top end of, of the pyramid. It's very favorable. Um, and that obviously is the, the NHI. Uh, in my opinion, um, and let's, let's let's I really do hope I am wrong. I don't think the ANC will will drop below fifty percent in in this year's elections. Twenty twenty nine is a different different idea, different uh, scenario completely. However, I think I think they've pretty much got it. They will retain their their fifty their 50, above fifty percent majority here, simply because the NHI. Um, is is really there in ace up their sleeve? It's 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 really it's positioned well. Ramaphosa said he's definitely signing it in. It will be signed whether we like it or not. Were his actual words, and um, it's it appeals to to most of their their voters. The ANC is the only party out there saying um, free healthcare for all, whereas all the other parties are openly opposing it. And therefore, sending the direct message that you know, you're not going to get free healthcare. Um, yet the ANC will. That, that's massively appealing. Although we we do receive free healthcare in state hospitals here, they seem to be completely avoiding that fact and posing it as a much better service. Doctors, uh, GPs, dentistry, so on and so on. Uh, basically, everything you need or that you would get with a with the NH, NHI. They're also uh, saying that um, medical aid, private medical aids c- cannot continue uh, offering the services that the, the NHI will offer. And that's just another kick, uh, kick in the side to firmly cement that the NHI is the one stop for, for med- medical attention for all South Africans in an equal manner. Uh, that That is an election campaign is, is hugely, hugely attractive for for any voter, from right from rural standards all the way through up to middle of the, of the middle class, and that is a, a quite substantial amount of of South Africans. Um, you mentioned the the DA uh, promoting or encouraging people to to uh, sign up and uh, get get the, get rid of that apathy and and get up there. I'm of a different opinion here, Kieran. That it it works the other way. I think. 
a majority of South Africans who are not voting are, are actually ANC voters. ANC voters at the moment, if they're upset with their accept, accept with their party, they tend to not vote. They don't vote for another party, they tend to just not vote. Whereas uh, DA, you, you will vote for DA no, no matter what. DA voters are quite loyal and they do they seem to uh, um, uh, vote. They, they, they have overcome the apathy and, and they will carry on. But the DA doesn't seem to be attracting those people who are not uh, wanting to vote for the ANC. They, they need to change their tactics and offer something, something stronger there, or some other party needs to, needs to approach, that, approach that as well. But should all South Africans vote or should the, the turnout, the numbers be, be greater, I think that will be serve the ANC, be a better advantage towards the ANC rather than, rather than the DA. But again, I, I hope I've misread it and, and it actually turns out the way it is. Because there's no doubt, as you say, we, we need to get a new government in, in South Africa. Things are just not going, going well. They haven't been going well. It's been on a downward slope since around about 98. And it just really hasn't, hasn't recovered in any way whatsoever. And I don't see any, any recovery, not with the current administration uh, in, in charge at, what, at, at whatsoever. Um, sorry, I'm rambling on on quite a bit there, but that's just getting input from from the summit and <laughs> and trying trying to put it all forward. There's so much information coming. Yeah, coming I, I mean, there. there's there's a lot of contradictory polls coming through. I mean, the DA itself mm. um, did this poll late last year where they were showing the ANC polling at 39 percent and the DA polling at 32 percent, mm. um, and you know that's. Uh, that's a gap which is, I, I find that very surprising. And then, okay, so it's their own internal polling and there's always questions about how accurate that is and, you know, are they ending up with the result that they wanted at the outset kind of thing. Um, but be that as it may, I, I actually do agree with you. I, I think the majority of apathetic voters are, are, are ANC voters. But in my talks with people, you know, I'm, I'm yet to find a a committed ANC voter. Um, <laughs> they, they despise the government, but come election day, you know, can they bring themselves? Because the ANC's branding is pretty good, and they've written, they've written on this for the last three decades. The, this is the party that brought you liberation. Yes. Um, and at, at the end of the day, so all of the discussions about, as you say, the NHI, this is all about the, uh, you know, established white capital or whatever you want to call it, you know, all of the bad words that are used to describe the, the old order, trying to prevent you from getting good medical care. And uh, as you said, we've already got hospitals. You can go there. You, you can get, uh, it's not it's not great service, but you, you can get treated there. Um, so just coming to this NHI thing is, uh, yeah, it, it's a great electioneering ploy. And it, it does position the, the, the country along very clear class lines. There's the poor who don't have access to the same level of health care as the, the, the rich. The question that has not been sufficiently answered is how this is going to be paid. Now, this was addressed or has been addressed by a lot of different groups, but uh, Discovery Health did a presentation um, late last year where they said that basically if the NHI, NHI comes in, you're going to pay 31% more tax and you're going to get 69% less benefits. This is for medical scheme members. So uh, the 
the whole point about the NHI is it's going to prevent private medical aids from offering services that the NHI itself can offer. So if the NHI is going to offer you kidney dialysis or hip replacements, well, then your private medical aid can't offer that, that service. The, when you get into the numbers, you know, this is almost fantasy land because uh, Discovery, they reckon the NHI is going to cost about $859 billion for what are called the prescribed minimum benefits. That's your basic level of healthcare. Now, the, our healthcare budget at the moment is only $233 billion. So you've got to ask the question, where do we get that extra $600 billion? Well, th there is nowhere. You know, the, the, the pot is empty. The faucet is dry. There's nothing there. Um, yeah. Yet you do get these fantasy stories coming out of government that, well, we just raise taxes. You know, this is the government solution to every problem. It's just raise taxes as if this is a, a purely <laughs> mechanistic thing. Not realizing that, uh, you know, that the migration of skills and money out of South Africa is, is exactly because of this type of thing. You know, you've yes. got the, the, the people who do pay taxes uh, are being squeezed more and more and they're finding, well, I'm going to do better overseas with my skills, so that off they go. And so I think this, look, the NHI has got a 10-year a runway, and I don't know at what point we can ever say we have an NHI. I think they're going, to, they're going to pass it, they're going to try and implement it, and it's going to be very slow. And what you end up with, we're going for a Rolls-Royce, and I think what we're going to end up with is at the end is a Toyota Corolla. Without a doubt, I, I, I couldn't agree more. It's it's exactly what what you say. Raymond Posa says he will sign it. It will, it will be implemented. Um, but as you say, there's got there's that period there, and it will take about three years during during that period for the minister to draft the regulations around the NHI, which will explain how it works, um, the basics of it, the penalties, the the ins and outs of of the actual <clears throat> actual policy so it, that's the full-on implementation is definitely many years many years ahead in the future um what the ANC is using it for now is without, without a doubt just a just an election tool to, to get that lower end end of the market back and into voting and voting for for the ANC um but yeah, it's it's exactly that. If it's, if it's going to increase taxes by by thirty one percent, as as Adrian Gore from Discovery did say, um, who does that affect really? Does that affect the people who can pay more taxes, or does it, it certainly doesn't affect the ANC's bottom end voters um, who generally aren't paying income tax or don't pay income tax within that certain bracket to, to for it to really affect them but only will only affect the the upper upper one percent earners um so although he has uh put out concerns about it it's more appealing to his um upper market middle class to, to upper class market which which is which is definitely not the anc voters or is it or is it because there are other policies which do also talk about uh, which do the ANC has pushed forward now, which do actually appeal to the upper class, uh, especially the the black elite class. But we'll chat chat about that after after a quick break. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen. 
No, in fact, democracy doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of hard work to maintain a good democracy, as the last two days in Cape Town have shown at this at this summit. Democracy is definitely hard work and involves uh, being active as, as a citizen and having your say on whatever bills are out there, whatever matters arise, and just being more involved in uh, government matters by providing an oversight function and, of course, by getting actively involved. But before the break, we're, Kieran and I were chatting about uh, the NHI and the effects that that's going to have, and uh, perhaps it is a, as a tool to influence the ANC uh, rural rural market into, into voting for the ANC once again. But there are other bills on the table. Um, Kieran, tell us a bit more about what else is on, on the table. Well, it's actually one that you uh, sent to me, and actually I want to get your opinion on this, and this is the gas amendment bill. And that, that's something that not many people are going to pay attention to. But there's a couple of, there's a couple of interesting aspects about this. Uh, this is really um, kind of BEE on steroids, from what I can see. Um, you, you talked about the ANC pitching itself at both the black elite and the ordinary voter, so the bottom and the top. And I think this gas amendment bill is an example of pitching itself to the top because that's where they're going to get their funding to run this, this election campaign. And Definitely. So maybe give us a, a little bit of an idea why this is so significant. I think the gas amendment bill, it, it's tied closely to the integrated resources plan, which is um, basically the energy roadmap for, for South Africa going through. That's, that's out for public comment right now. And uh, what that proposes is a, a an immediate short-term solution to solve South Africa's energy crisis because, as you mentioned right at the beginning of the show, it, you know, it, electricity is is one of the most important things along uh, ESCOM and, and, and Transnet. Um, so the, the one part of the bill addresses the immediate needs, which is uh, taking care of current installation projects, making sure that they, they go through uh, refurbishing some power stations, extending nuclear um, uh, licensing fees, and uh, opening up more more bid windows for for renewables. It also talks about gas, implementing gas as um, uh, one of the one of the main uh, energy energy sources. Uh, gas pro- there are certain gas projects that have come online now. There's more coming online. There's that gas exploration from Total Energies just off Muscle Bay. And all of that ties into this gas amendment bill. If you look at the second part of the IRP, that's more about um, long-term planning. And that proposes uh, five different scenarios of different energy mixes. Uh, one is one is uh, gas and renewables. Another one is nuclear and renewables, or a mixture of, of all three, phasing out coal to meet climate, stand, uh, climate uh, emission standards, and, and so on and so on. But the big driver in the IRP is gas. So the, the gas amendment bill proposes to totally reform the entire gas industry with a heavy focus on uh, broad-based black economic empowerment. And it, uh, the bill goes on to talk about preferential treatment for, for new players in the industry, um, black, black economic uh, uh, entrepreneurs uh, who, who want to get into the gas industry, an existing uh, uh, triple B, triple B E, 
uh, players <clears throat> and promoting them, um, encourage them to go, uh, supporting them, uh, assisting them, and 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 so on and so on, um, which which again bringing it back to the, the political side of it is highly appealing to to the to the, to the black elite class, and that will, will definitely attract the voters, those most apathetic voters who haven't been uh, feeding at the trough yet. Here, here's your opportunity. Here's a great opportunity for you. Uh, get involved. We'll help you support it. And there's there's a huge amount of of resources available for that. Huge amount of gas and reworking the entire entire gas industry to to favor to favor you as a as an as an individual, as long as you meet the meet the economic, meet the uh, requirements as stipulated in in the bill. It cuts out um, a lot of existing white-owned companies. Um, or foreign-owned companies as well talks about foreign-owned companies and making it more localized gas gas industry, with as you say, uh, BE on 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 steroids. So yeah, I, I think that's also just a, a a play for for the NC to attract those voters. Yeah, I, I mean, if you look at the trend across Africa, the African Energy um, Forum recently put out a report. South Africa is lagging so far behind in terms of legislative amendments mm. and policy changes. The rest of Africa has been through this period where, <clears throat> you know, they had what they call indigenization laws, which they've now had to peel back. Because if you look at investment in mining and in resource development in, in South Africa, it's pretty much dried up. Now, if you are going to do something like this where you're going to have a preferential class of people that are going to be that they basically have first bite at this giant apple. And natural gas, by the way, is is the huge growth industry yeah. of the next decade or so. Because it is a kind of a, a green transition. It's a transition away from coal. Mm. <laughs> Excuse me. And, and gas, gas mustn't, mustn't forget the gas. Uh, it's not just the the offshore drilling and and, uh, and that, that gas. It's There's also the huge high hydrogen production plants that... Oh, that South Africa has been, has been talking about quite some time, where government wants uh, South Africa to be the leaders in in hydrogen hydrogen manufacturing and production. Yeah. So I, I think I think this is uh, all of these things are going to have to be revisited. The BE laws that affect mining. Um, you know, why don't we have Starlink for heaven's sake in South Africa? Because yeah. we've got BE laws. You know, mm. uh, Elon Musk, even though he comes from this country, doesn't seem to have a high opinion of us. Uh, for probably very personal reasons, uh, we don't have Starlink, but yet there are people who are able to access Starlink in South Africa if they've got some connection to Mozambique or Zimbabwe, uh, countries on our border. Technology has a way of finding routes around this. You know, just, just talk about government getting in the way of progress. Here's a good story. Um, Department of Home Affairs recently decided that they have the, what they call these swallow visas. So a huge, let's say a huge, hundreds of thousands of people from Europe and, and the Northern Hemisphere come to the Western Cape every year on these 90-day visas, short-term visas, which they can then renew automatically for another 90 days. That gives you 180 days, basically six months out of the year. Home Affairs, uh, just before Christmas, they snuck it in there this is talk about, you know, when you really want bad news to disappear. You do it just around the Christmas period. 
And so what they did was they put out this directive in December saying, sorry, we're so backlogged, we cannot process your applications for renewal of your 90-day visas. You're going to have to leave at the end of February. So instead of leaving at the end of uh, April or, or May, uh, here they are. Now, these are not just tourists. These are people who have businesses in South Africa. They are people who bought property in South Africa. It's reckoned that 90% of these swallows, they call them swallows, people who fly in and out, they're here for six months of the year, are property owners in South Africa. And a lot of them have businesses in South Africa and employing South Africans. And here we are, we, because we're backlogged. And, and by the way, we ran into this um, several times in the past, back in 2014. Western Cape at that point came up and said, listen, if we're backlogged, this is so important to us. We'll dedicate resources to help you clear this backlog and that worked out fine. Now, this latest thing is just, um, it's, it's, another, it's just government getting in the way. Smaller countries like Switzerland and Mauritius with, with uh, far fewer resources can handle this kind of administrative burden with, with ease. You know, you take on extra people and you, but the thing is that the, the, the this government, uh, I'd say this government, home affairs in particular, is married to the process. And the economic consequences don't seem to figure in, in their reasoning here. So that, that's a case of just government getting in the way. And I think this gas amendment bill as well is, is another example of that. <clears throat> you know, if you look at where, where you have this, this, uh, rights being allocated to a certain class of people. You know, first of all, it, it is an extremely classist, or I, I don't want to use the word, it, it is racist because it's, um, mm. it, it's black economic empowerment. These things are going to have to be revisited if the country is really going to get out of this. And I don't think any of the big uh, corporations are willing to talk about this yet. Some of them are beginning to talk about mm. it because it really has become uh, an impediment. Okay. It has, it definitely has, Kieran. Uh, we're going to take a, a, a quick break here, but I'd love to chat more, more about that uh, when we wrap up after the break. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen. Uh, welcome back. Uh, Kieran, uh, what were we chatting about before the break? <laughs> yeah, we were talking about the gas amendment bill and how <laughs> if you create this, these privileges for a certain class of people, mm. it's going to end in corruption. The last time we were speaking, probably early December or November last year, I mentioned a story I was investigating down in the Val Triangle area. There was a, a company, a black-owned company down there that had won a tender for the construction of a road, a three-kilometer road, uh, for the price of a hundred, and at an intersection for the price of one hundred and forty million. I said, well, "That sounds very expensive. Um, <laughs> how much does a kilometer of road typically cost? Four million rand, I'm told. Okay, so three kilometers by, uh, you know, four million rand. That should give you a twelve million rand tender. No, this is this is one hundred and forty million. Anyway, that that wasn't really that, that. That's another story. What happened in this particular case was, like uh, all government project, 30% is set aside for the community. So they had all these meetings, they got all the local communities together, uh, companies, and they said, okay, who knows how to do bricklaying? Who knows how to do the laying of tar? Who knows how to do architectural work? And, you know, guys put up their hands, and so they, they, they got this list together. But what happened was this mafia, this construction mafia stepped in, nine of them, and they were being paid by the construction company 900000 a month. And how I came to find this out was the 
one of the enforcers, uh, <coughs> sorry, one of the enforcers for the mafia, he contacted me. And, and he, uh, you know, so I drove around with him. This is a guy who spent 27 years in prison and, uh, you know, for murdering a policeman. You know, he's, uh, he, he's, he's not uh, your local parish priest. And, uh, and he detailed the whole story. So I went to meet members of the community. And the very week that I was there, one of the mafia members had been shot in, in Verenigen, in the CBD. Another one had been beaten within an inch of his life. This is the community members, you know, turning on these guys. They should have been uh, allocated some of this work, and they weren't. But the, the lesson here is that when you create this privilege for a, a select group of people, you also create other incentives to kind of dodge the system. And uh, what was alleged was the, the company was, um, not only was this money not going to the community, it was just siphoning itself and the, the payments back to itself. Opportunities for corruption always come up in this type of thing. Yeah, they absolutely do. And it's, it's, you know, it's good to see the, the community standing up to it. But when they do it in an un, unlawful manner, uh, that reveals that, number one, they are totally fed up with it. They don't see any action in government. And they know that nothing will, will come of it if they do report it to authorities. And the second thing is it's, uh, it shows quite a violent nature behind behind the average South African. Uh, but is that from being totally fed up or is that we've just reached our, our limits and, and will, will they continue into into other areas? Probably, probably will. Probably will. I, I think, um, I think you, you get a culture, don't you, at, yeah. at certain points. And Transparency International just this week, they released their late mm. Corruption Perce uh, Perceptions Index. I wanted to talk briefly about that. Because if you go back to 2009, South Africa ranked 56 in the world. This is out of 180 countries. We were 56 in terms of corruption. And I went back and I looked at that report from 2009. And what they were talking about then was the arms deal. <clears throat> well, of course, things have gotten a lot worse since then. So now we've slipped from 56 down to about 83. So, you know, we're in company with Burkina Faso and Kosovo, and, you know, which is a complete gangster state. Uh, that's where we are. And it really comes down to the rule of law. And the only thing which appears to save us is that, you know, we have a judiciary which is fairly functional, although I would question that. Uh, <laughs> uh, there are some shocking decisions coming out of the courts. I know we haven't got much time. That's a subject for another day, which I would love to do. So some outrages that have happened, uh, which really is a kind of a, using the courts for laundering fraud. Oh, brilliant, Kieran. Yeah, sadly, we have come to the end, end of the show and have, have run out of time. But let's definitely do it next week, Kieran. Uh, yeah. Thank you for coming on. It's been absolutely wonderful. And but let's let's definitely chat about that next week. It's a date. Let's let's get it done. Right. And again, thanks, listeners, for, for listening in. If you if you missed the show, feel free to catch up on, on our website, www.chaifm.com. That's C-H-A-I-F-M.com. Go there, catch up with the show. And we'll catch you next week. Remember to stay democratic, engaged, active, and responsible. Ciao for now.